Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Thursday morning, the 6th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Government met yesterday to discuss coronavirus and related issues. Obviously there are challenges also in respect of the broader economy and in terms of the public health guidelines and provisions and advices in respect of close contacts. Omicron continues COVID's pressure on the health service. It is also causing staff shortages across every sector. We are dealing with a very rapid um, spreading and highly transmissible variant. Two years into the pandemic and coronavirus has a tighter grip than ever before. The levels of infection are unprecedented in the context even of the pandemic. The numbers of cases on a daily basis. The Taoiseach outlining to reporters uh, the current situation, the dire situation in which we begin this year. Yet, if you compare what's open today compared to 12 months ago, uh, with far less cases, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary difference. It's, it's quite dramatically different. You could say Michal Martin was telling us to look at the glass as half full on one hand, but as half empty on the other hand. That's because of how we're in uncharted waters once again and there are still so many unknowns. There will be a challenging number of weeks in January. Uh, the next week or 10 days will give us more evidence in terms of the impact of this variant on severity of illness. Uh, and that will inform uh, decisions that the public health uh, advisors will be giving, giving to government uh, in respect to a broad range of issues, not least... Uh, the, the issues uh, of, of close context. And that public health advice that the Taoiseach Micheál Martin was referring to there will of course come from the National Public Health Emergency Team. NEFIT meets today and let's preview what we might expect. Neve Griffin, health correspondent with the Irish Examiner, is on the line. There's a very good morning to you, Neve, and thank you indeed as always for joining us. Happy New Year to you for that matter. And, uh, happy Nulloch Naman. <laughs> and happy Nulloch Naman for that matter, absolutely. Uh, good morning and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, what are you expecting, or are you expecting to hear anything significant from NEFA today? 
Well, Micheál Martin certainly isn't. Um, he said yesterday he doesn't anticipate any uh, significant changes, um, any additional restrictions, uh, which is good news, I think, for everyone. Um, we know that the, the government has asked them to, to look at the rules around movement for some people who are close contacts of um, COVID-19, so maybe fully vaccinated or fac- vaccinated with a booster. Um, people will be aware that the close contact rule is quite complex at the moment. So I think there might be some efforts to try and um, simplify that. Uh, but hopefully no, you know, no lockdowns. It is, uh, I heard him saying, I mean, it is quite different this year, even though we've much more cases, we can still travel, you know, cross county bounds and things like that. Mm. So it's it's quite a, a different situation really to last year. There's no end in sight though, really, is there? I mean, uh, the guidelines that are in place, as the Taoiseach said there, are up to the uh, end of January, but it could very well go on beyond that. Uh, yes, it could do. They are, I suppose, unsure at the moment. Like the way that the virus works, as we all have learned now, is you have the spike of cases, then maybe 10 days, 10 to 14 days, and then you see whether peop- how many people are getting severely ill out of that. So really, with the high number of cases we had over Christmas, um, we should be seeing that quite, you know, around now, whether it's going to translate into ICU and hospitalisation figures. There's great confidence in uh, the vaccines, it seems, in Mm. terms of of preventing severe illness. I'm sure we're going to get texts from people now saying uh, you'll still get it if you're vaccinated. And that's exactly what the experts are saying. It's what the government is saying. Uh, It's what uh, those who are making decisions uh, and advising the decision makers about this are saying. Uh, You can very well get Omicron, this variant of COVID, if you are vaccinated, but there's great confidence that it'll prevent severe illness and death. Yes, yes, that seems to be the indication from countries like Denmark, uh, Britain, South Africa, where they've had large waves of Omicron, that the vaccines are holding up. So you are quite sick, but you don't need to go to hospital. And I mean, there's a huge difference as mm. anyone who's you know, had pneumonia versus uh, the flu. There's a huge um, difference. So it looks like the vaccines will are so far anyway. Um, holding us, holding protection against us. And, um, and there was uh, some good news yesterday that Ireland is very close now to getting this new kind of medicine called antivirals from a number of pharmaceutical companies probably next month. Mm. And that will give doctors a lot more options for treating people who do get even severely ill. Yeah, if you get COVID, you'll take your tablets and hopefully that'll clear it up in the same way that if you get an infection, uh, you'll take an antibiotic and that'll clear up the infection. If we didn't have yeah. antibiotics, Uh, there'd be a lot of us who wouldn't be here today because uh, they really do save lives and that's the hope with these things. Uh, The vaccinated uh, part of it is very interesting because it might seem like a a mixed message to people that we're relaxing the rules for people coming into the country but for those who are vaccinated and it comes back to this confidence that they have in uh, the vaccines uh, that if you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated coming into Ireland now, uh, you won't need to have a clear COVID test coming into the country. Yes, and I think that's down really as well, Michael, to the, the spread of Omicron. That there, there was a point last year, if you remember, we had that the, the gamma um, variant from Brazil and they could say, OK, that's very common in Brazil. Let's, let's close the, the borders to or put limits, uh, hotel quarantine on people coming from there. But Omicron is everywhere. So it doesn't really make sense to ask people to quarantine 
when they then leave quarantine and go into a country where we have everybody else has Omicron also. Mm. And I suppose that's why there's uh, so much emphasis on vaccines, not just here, but uh, around the world. You won't get into Australia. It's very clear you won't get into Australia <laughs> if you're not yeah, vaccinated. No matter, no, ma- you are. <laughs> no matter who you are or how important you are or how many fans you have. And uh, Novak Djokovic uh, is certainly feeling that. Uh, the Greeks have been told for some time that if they're over 60, they have to get vaccinated or face fines. That's going to happen in Italy now as well. Uh, yes, For yes, f- over that's 50s, something I think. that's that's not 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 to worry people. That yeah. Mandatory vaccination doesn't happen here, but mm. some other countries are going down that road. Yeah. Um, but I think here, uh, Neil Martin said that, uh, yesterday that if you're the the your digital COVID cert will be updated to include your booster pass, mm-hmm. and that you will need it, um, as he said, to enjoy a pint or to eat in a restaurant. Yeah. Um, or as people said, reacting to it, and I think in Ireland that sort of Paris works much better than the stick approach. Yeah, well, that's the stick approach in Italy and Greece for over 60s, in Italy for over 50s uh, from uh, this week, uh, I think. And we heard Emmanuel Macron yesterday using some very colourful, unparliamentarian language uh, in terms of how uh, he wants to hassle uh, or annoy those who have not been vaccinated by making it impossible for them to uh, live in France. Uh, and uh, that idea of the booster, as you say, will uh, come into play here and you won't be able to go for a pint. You won't have a COVID cert essentially if you don't get the booster. Yeah and I'm sure there we had some problems when that was being rolled out initially and I'm sure there will be glitches with that so it could be quite bumpy for a while so I wouldn't be making any plans I think until I had the, the digital cert in your hand like people who got over a million people got their booster from GPs and hundreds of thousands in pharmacies so all of that will have to be fed now into the digital COVID cert mm. along with the people who got their booster in the, the mass vaccination centres. Actually I'm seeing today as well that paramedics are to be removed from frontline duties if they haven't been vaccinated as well Neve. Yes, that's right. That was a, a memo sent out by the HSE and um, I suppose like it's hard. I suppose in one way it makes sense if you're a paramedic or, and it, that's already in place in HSE hospitals where if you have chosen not to be boosted or can't for, for a medical reason, you don't deal directly with patients. So it's kind of transferring that out into the, the community services. OK, well, there's a, a lot of COVID. We all know somebody who has COVID or had COVID or were close mm-hmm. contact uh, and uh, we'll be hearing from local schools uh, throughout the morning uh, and uh, the challenges that they're facing and whether they're able to overcome them or, or not. But we really don't know how many people have COVID uh, and that's because you can't get a, a, a PCR test. Uh, and there's been problems with antigen tests. Uh, the regulator is advising uh, that some of uh, these tests that would have been on sale in Duns and Little, is it, uh, have to be removed? Uh, yes, it's just one brand, uh, Genui, if I'm saying that right. Yep. Um, and that's, that brand has been removed uh, which is kind of a shame because I haven't seen actually one of those boxes, but my understanding was that all brands on sale here had the CE, that, you know, the EU mm. um, certification, but may, perhaps this one didn't. I don't want to, I, to I, get I, the but, company yeah, in trouble. No, I think it did. I think they're marked CE1434, but they're being removed. Uh, and if you have them, I wouldn't throw them out. Uh, I imagine there's no harm trying them, but uh, whether you take it as gospel that the result is correct or not, it's another thing. Uh, if you prove yeah. positive, in other words, uh, maybe you'd want to go for another test. 
Yeah, and I suppose if you're confused, maybe call into your local pharmacist and ask them for advice because um, they're all very familiar with the antigen tests. But these ones do seem to have been giving false positives, um, when, which is kind of ironic yeah. when the concern was always about false negatives. Mm. Um, but people, unfortunately, have been doing these tests and isolating and, as you say, waiting a number of days for mm. the PCR test only to find out that they don't have covid um, so quite a relief, I'm sure, to everyone, but it's, very yeah. confusing. It's a, a relief in some respects, uh, but uh, then uh, people are, are saying, well, I went without uh, pay or without mm-hmm. uh, being able to do exactly. my job or whatever the case may be. And it's caused Christmas dinner and different things. Absolutely, so. yeah. There's been a lot of people who haven't been able to meet up over the Christmas. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of concern as well about keeping the country running. Uh, will... Uh, the advice be from Neffet that if you don't have symptoms that you can go to work uh, in line with the CDC in the US? Uh, That we don't know. I mean, we assume that all of those issues are being discussed at the moment. Um, I suppose America has always had slightly different rules to European countries. So they'll they'll probably look at what other European countries are doing first, I imagine, and then look at it. Um, I don't know if people saw there was one of the public health departments put out a flowchart on their social media, which ties in all the rules at the moment and I mean you just have you'd have a headache to be honest just looking at that flowchart when you see so many different variations so mm. I do hope they, they simplify it some way because I mean we, we all want to do the right thing but um, it's quite complicated. Mm, okay and uh, do you expect that we'll get some clarity on that today uh, will we hear from Neffet will we hear uh, from government uh, tomorrow there's the possibility is there not that the cabinet subcommittee on COVID will meet tomorrow following on from recommendations yes. coming today from Neffet Yes that's right the full cabinet met yesterday to discuss what they would like to request and what they would like to know so you'd imagine if there's any significant changes then they would be meeting to, to that lovely word operationalise uh, whatever the guideline, the new guidelines are Okay. Uh, and uh, what are you hearing uh, about the schools uh, today, Neve? Uh, there seems to be opinions on both sides as to whether it's too early to reopen or, or whether it's very positive because uh, the good outweighs the bad involved in it. Well, I think that's definitely the, the state's approach, that the risks to children, uh, that's been studied quite a lot now from the other lockdowns, that the risk to their socialisation, the increase in their anxiety levels, um, children who are vulnerable to domestic abuse being left at home for, for longer, that all of these things, and plus, of course, their education right at the, the core of it, outweigh it. And parents seem divided, I suppose, that uh, for some children, I mean, they are, it's quite cold today, to be honest. Mm. And if you're in a room, schools have different rules. I know some of them open the windows during break times only to ventilate. And then when the kids are in there, they close the windows. Other schools leave the windows open all day. Um, and there doesn't, I suppose, a bit more clearer guidance around how ventilation works and maybe more access to HEPA filters would help a lot of schools. Mm. And, and of course, face masks. Also, sorry. sorry, I'm sorry. And face, yeah. yeah, and face masks, that's right. And of course, they're also now dealing with what we're all dealing with, that perhaps, you know, some teachers, were, some principals were saying this week up to 20% of their staff have COVID or, or are isolating. Mm. That's another challenge. Okay, and it 
it'll continue by the sounds of things until this thing peaks whenever it peaks. Mm. All right, Neva. Well, hopefully. Yeah. hopefully. <laughs> Good to talk hopefully to you. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. The sooner the better is right. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. That's Neve Griffin, the health correspondent for the Irish Examiner. I think we can hear a little bit more uh, from uh, the Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, speaking after that a meeting of the Cabinet yesterday. Cabinet met this morning and... Um, Obviously, that with a number of issues, uh, primarily, of course, focusing in on uh, COVID-19, and the decision was taken to uh, engage in the uh, procurement of antivirals from a number of companies, uh, both as part of the European procurement process and uh, and the capacity to do it bilaterally also uh, with companies. Uh, and that would be an additional tool to the uh, range of tools that we now have at our disposal to deal with COVID-19. Uh, the primary one, of course, remaining the vaccines and all of the evidence is so far that the vaccines are working in terms of preventing severe illness and disease, hospitalisation and critically um, admission to ICUs. And that is the feedback from the clinicians on the ground in the various hospitals, from the HSE and from public health. So standing back from everything, the really vital message to people out there is to go and get vaccinated. Those who have not got the primary uh, doses, please go and get them. Uh, You will uh, protect yourself and others. Uh, And then the booster uh, campaign. It was a tremendous campaign prior to Christmas, uh, really motored uh, to the extent that Ireland is number one in the ECDC list now across the European Union with 57%. But we want more and more people to get boosted now. And then we have the childhood vaccination programme also. The evidence is very, very clear. Um, And that to me is the core message that I want to give today is really to get out there and get vaccinated because it will protect you from severe illness uh, and certainly will help uh, to keep the pressure on ICUs uh, and our hospitals um, down. That's the Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, speaking to reporters after the Cabinet meeting that was held yesterday. And we'll hear more from the Taoiseach later in the programme today. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. We don't know yet what caused uh, the fire in Moneymore yesterday afternoon, but we do know that it's not the first time that a house in the now infamous housing estate in Drogheda has been gutted by fire. The kitchen and the hall destroyed by fire. Smoke uh, destroying the rest of the building. A big fire, three o'clock in the afternoon, it seems, uh, with fire units from Drogheda, Dundalk, and Dunleer required to put the fire out. Uh, but we can probably uh, make a, a quite informed guess at this stage because, as I say, it's not the first time uh, that uh, there's uh, been an arson attack on a property in Drogheda or its environs. Let's speak uh, to local TD, Finnegales Fergus O'Dowd, who's on the line. A very good morning to you and oh, thank you indeed for joining us. Happy New Year to you. And it's a, a terrible way to be starting off the New Year, isn't it? It is indeed. It's shocking. It's actually frightening to have a fire in any house. But the fact that uh, fire tenders had to come from the Mir and Dundalk indicates how severe and how serious it was. And uh, obviously, thankfully, nobody was in the house at the time and nobody mm. was injured. And secondly, the fire didn't spread, and uh, clearly it's a very worrying development. Obviously, the Gardaí are the people who will decide or interpret the cause of it. But, I mean, Moneymore is a very fine estate, and I think it's just a very small number of people are giving it a bad name. And, you know, I I would certainly, from my personal knowledge, over many, many years, the people are money. Moneymore are as good as anywhere else in the town and better in many ways. So, like, the name of the estate... If it is in the headlines, it's for the wrong reasons, but the vast majority of people there 
are law-abiding citizens and they're entitled, obviously, to the support and services uh, improvements that they need. Yeah, and they, like uh, the rest of us, I suppose, are, are being held ransom by that small oh, minority oh, who are in the estate yeah. and elsewhere, it has to be said, but money more does yes. tend to uh, get the headlines. Uh, 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 and of course, whilst we don't know yet uh, what caused this fire, we know that uh, there's been millions of fires over the last few years and that they've been linked to this ongoing drugs feud and uh, the trade of drugs around the town and uh, people falling into debt over drugs uh, and because they don't pay their uh, debts uh, then this is the type of intimidation that takes place uh, uh, and uh, puts the fear of God into people and it's been a significant issue as we're all acutely aware there's been a development in terms of policing that Uh, there has indeed I think there's very good news indeed for the whole region that's drawn in Eastmead that the Garda Commissioner has now decided and indeed there was unanimous support for it locally across all communities and indeed strongly from the Gardaí as well, that there would be a unified district between Drogheda and Eastmead. In other words, you know, you, you wouldn't have to ring Ashburn if you're living in Eastmead uh, to get to get service from the Gardaí. Mm. Uh, and uh, what has been agreed is that the boundaries have been, are going to be realigned. The decision has been made to do that. I don't have the date when it will become effective yet, and I'm seeking that urgently from the Commissioner's Office, but it will be a huge improvement in the service to people locally, and I think everybody is extremely happy with that, and the guards, I think, are ready to you know to provide the service hmm. that they want to provide as well and that the people need. And it's a long overdue recognition of where borders lie in people's lives and how they live their lives, and it's not just the drug trade which straddles uh, the actual border and beyond, uh, because we've had lots of problems. We had uh, that incident on the beach uh, with a couple of young boys being beaten up by a mob from Drogheda. Absolutely, and obviously, clearly, uh, there was a guard in plain clothes who went in to help them in that case, and he was also you know, put under severe threat. So I think the main thing is that, uh, obviously, I've been speaking to Gardy locally, and, and I want to acknowledge the fantastic work that they're doing in fighting criminality. Obviously, the numbers have increased, and I presume there have to be an increase in Gardy for East Mead now. They're presently have 16 full-time Gardaí, and the population in 2016, the last census, was about 23,000. So we need more Gardaí out there as well. And obviously there's a commitment from the letter from the Commissioner's Office that there will be a, an improvement made and a refurbishment, capital refurbishment for the Garda station presently in Leytown. The commitment is that it, it, it will be, what the way to put it, will be included for consideration. Well, I, I, I'll push that as best I can, but mm. it means people are more secure, they will have uh, more guardy. they will have them near them, and it'll be a seamless service. And I just, and, and there's an awful lot of our serious criminals are before the courts on very serious charges. The guardy, obviously, any information people have, they should give it to them in confidence. And this is, you know, the guardy to get on top of all the criminality have been working 24-7, as we all know, and up to now, since the appalling murder there, you know, a year or so ago, you know, they've, they've been able to keep things under control. Okay. And tell us a little bit more uh, about what you would hope for from the refurbishment of Laytown Garda Station. Would that have any impact on operational hours? Well, it, I'm sure it would, because the, the accommodation there is quite small. I, I was there some time ago, and it's really just a small little house, and like 
you know, and I know they have some, mm. some space out the back as well. But look, you need a modern state-of-the-art car station for East Mead. That's full stop. Now, clearly, it's not in the capital programme for that at the moment. But it is, there is a national, national, to say, the NDP plan for smaller guard stations. So I, I would be hopeful of that. But clearly, whoever would be in charge of the n- new area, and again, it has to be defined and announced, I presume it to be the chief superintendent in Drogheda, and they will, they will determine what their needs are. And clearly, uh, Christy Mangan, the chief superintendent at the moment, has been extremely successful in fighting crime, getting more guardy to the town, and also uh, being involved with the people and knowing and being part of the community. So I think we have a very proactive Garda, uh, positive mm. presence in the town, and I think, you know, people people are really happy with that. OK, this realignment hasn't happened yet, but when it does no. happen, uh, because there is this commitment to it happening, but when it does happen, um, what will that mean in reality, whether it's a, a, a big uh, issue of concern to do with the drugs trade or uh, one of uh, these yep. gangs uh, acting very violently or whether somebody sees uh, somebody acting suspiciously in a neighbourhood and is w- worried that they might be breaking into houses or something like that, you phone the guards. What happens next after the realignment? Because as I understand it at the moment, the call will go to Ashburn. Uh, at, the time, yes, at the yes. time of the assault on the beach, there were uh, a lot of concerns at the length of time that there was for a response from the guard station. I think calls might have gone to Athlone or Kildare or somewhere. Uh, but yes, what indeed, you're right, Michael. I think the key point is yeah. that, uh, like, obviously the local guard station is only open, I think, from about yeah. 6 in the morning to 2.30. They work at the moment with the guard station, so the 24-7 cover between those two areas at the moment. Mm. But clearly, when, when there's a new operational procedure there, you will ring Drada or you'll ring your local guard yeah. station if it's in late time. Or you'll ring 999 and the call will yeah, go to draw it'll be dealt with locally so yeah. mm. it won't, the car won't have to come from Ashbourne anymore it'll right. come from it'll come from Drogheda so, or from late on itself so that's that's all good news Mike. Right well that, that should make a big difference and uh, will be yeah. welcomed I presume that there's very little in the way of that happening is there? That that should happen sooner rather oh, than later. No, it's just the letter that I got. Yeah. States, I'm just reading the letter. Mm, I'm not reading mm. anything more than what's in yeah. it. it. It will be addressed as part of the rollout of the operating, guard operating model. But clearly, its decision has been made. The expectation has been there. It's now going to happen. Mm. There's no point, in my view, in delaying it. Obviously, admin- this is an administrative decision for the guard commissioner. He's made the decision to go ahead. So, mm. obviously, clearly, we'll all be hopeful and pressing to ensure that it happens sooner rather than later. And uh, there's no reason why I can't. I, okay. I, I don't know what the Guardian will need. I presume there will okay. have to be new, new resources. But, 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 but it will happen soon, it would seem. And whether it's petty crime or whether it's serious crime, the call will go to Drogheda Garda Station regardless Absolutely. of what Absolutely, and it will be really yeah. important. Yeah. And okay. it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not about counties, it's about people. It's about getting an immediate service. It's about having professional Guardian available uh, 24-7 and that is I think that's a great development. Okay, very good. Uh, new year, new start uh, and uh, everybody hoping for a uh, new start in Drogheda and uh, the implementation of uh, the Gearn Report recommendations. Uh, uh, I'm sure you'll be uh, getting back to work uh, this year as you finished up last year looking at how that's progressing. Yes, indeed. And we've had, obviously, over Christmas there's been a significant amount of funding. I think €160,000 additional funding uh, for, to fight the drug problem in Drogheda in terms of support services to people in the community 
who need those supports and also in, in tackling, obviously, drug addiction as well and programmes dealing with that. So there has been, the Minister Frankie Feehan announced that they're just almost on the eve of Christmas Eve. So there's a, there's a lot of good, and that's additional and more money for the community there. So, the, like, I think, Michael, there's a lot of things happening locally. There's been a lot of pain and, obviously, pressure on the system uh, but I, I believe now that the government and the community, most of all, are getting to grips with it and that community organisations will be properly and fully resourced. And clearly uh, issues in relation to the recommendations of the Gearing Report and the recognition, uh, you know, amenities for young people, identifying, you know, proper locations for a significant investment for young people, uh, for sports and so on. I think they're, they're part of the, the programme now. And we also have a full-time coordinator appointed and I think you know Martin O'Brien and Loudmead Education Board is doing fantastic work in helping and assisting and providing services to all our communities uh, and Michael Cho the chairman of the of the implementation board uh, they've agreed uh, and my suggestion that I made was that there would be community groups on that so there would be two representatives of Drogheda community groups on that board and I also asked for a representative of the business community to be appointed to the board and that's going to happen as well. So it won't be just civil servants, it'll be community direct voice on it and also I think a huge part in our society is a business and people that create jobs You know, and I think to have them on that board and to be part and parcel of all that planning and of all those decisions is, is, is very worthwhile. Okay, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Fergus O'Dowd, Finnegal TD for Louth and East Meath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you know, there's uh, been uh, strong opinions on both sides of the argument as to whether the schools should have reopened uh, this morning or not. Let's first of all hear from the government and its opinion on this. Well, the, the public health advice has been very, very clear to us that they see no rationale for not opening schools. Um, and they were very clear on that. The CMO was very clear to me yesterday in relation to that also. Our primary motivation is the child, and we want the child-centred education-based approach. We do know from a range of um, advices and evidence uh, from psychologists across to educationists, obviously, that the child benefits best while at school um, and um, the overall development of the child um, is best served. Uh, by opening schools and that's the that's the, the motivation behind the decision and, and there will be challenges but uh, collectively we will work our way through this. That's the Taoiseach Michal Martin speaking yesterday and it seems the vast majority of parents agree with the Taoiseach and the government's position on this at least. That's according uh, to some 409 parents who responded to a survey by mykidstime.com for parents and brands. Let's speak to Jill Holtz who's uh, the co-founder of Parents and Brands and My Kids Time. Good morning to you Jill and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Uh, you sought people's opinions on this and 70% of the people who responded to you said they wanted the schools to reopen today. Good morning, Michael. Yes, it's definitely been a hot topic, um, I would say, and lots of discussion online about the schools reopening and obviously they did go back today, but that 70% was with some caution. So, um, you know, with reservations, um, parents having safety concerns, the kids not yet being vaccinated, for example. But kind of overall, 
um, the feedback was that they did want the kids to go back to school because, um, you know, they struggled with homeschooling, for example. Mm. Um, when we were during lockdown, um, a lot of parents mentioned, you know, the mental health and well-being of their children. It's been very disruptive for many of them for two years. And the importance of education and that routine for kids. Yeah. Interestingly, only 13% of parents that we surveyed felt kind of, oh, it's time to learn to live with COVID. So people are still nervous. People are still anxious about it. Yeah, uh, and they're very informed decisions. Nobody knows their children better than uh, their parents. And uh, I think most parents uh, know how important routine is in their lives. Definitely, definitely. But, you know, never mind pandemic, it's always a big big juggle, isn't it, uh, between work and school and kids as parents. Mm. So I think for some parents, working from home um, and homeschooling is very tricky. Um, I know there was a lot of feedback last year and during the lockdown periods about how what a lifesaver, for example, uh, RTE, you know, and the moon shores there. Mm. So, you know, but I think generally people are at the stage that they really feel that school is the best place for the kids, provided they feel that that's kind of safety. So, for example, one parent said safety of children should come before anything. Um, we have to take measures. Obviously, everyone has to play their part. But people were saying things like, you know, just feel like two years of disruption, that it, the, the from a mental health point of view, kids would struggle without the normality of school. Mm. Um, and a lot of anxiety there. I'm very, very anxious about sending them to school, but they've missed so much schooling already. And I think their mental health has suffered enough, said one parent. Yeah, and their educational development, will they forget how to learn? Uh, and I think that probably is a, a very real concern or could be if it was to go on further. And for those parents who do want their children in school today, because not all do, but for those who do, I take it they want them to be in school if the schools are open and the children go to school and they're not sent home. Yes, exactly. So I think it depends very much on the home working, if you're home working or if they're at work. Again, you know, it's always been a struggle as a parent if your child is ill, for example, you know, to leave work and go and get them. But I think, I think again, there was a lot of feedback around, yes, they wanted kids to go back to school, but they also want to be able to keep them at home and have that accommodated and supported as well if they need to keep them back. Mm-hmm. And it's the unknown that has people nervous uh, because even the schools can't plan ahead because they don't know who's going to call in sick if teachers are available or not. They may not find out until this morning, as the case was today, or until tomorrow morning uh, in uh, tomorrow's uh, situation. Yeah, and I think everybody, I mean, no matter whether you're a parent or not, I suppose we're all in this situation where things are changing so rapidly, we don't know what's happening almost week to week. Um, but that, that causes anxiety and nervousness, doesn't it? Because you can't plan, it's very difficult to plan for things. Um mm. I think ultimately, I think overall, parents were saying that they did want the schools to reopen just with with some caution. Okay, and what about those who didn't? Because I think it was about 24% of the people who responded to you who said they shouldn't reopen. What were they saying to you? Really, what the most of those parents were saying that that if numbers were high, that they felt that online learning should be put in place to start with, or wait until the cases had gotten down a bit. 
Um, and again, it was all around safety of children. The fact that the kids hadn't been, many kids haven't been vaccinated. I know some are starting to be vaccinated now. Mm. Um, and, you know, one mum said, I work in a hospital and we're stretched as, as I dread to think what another COVID surge would do. So it's along those lines, you know, people's kind of nervousness and mm. anxiety. Okay, Jill, we're going to be speaking to uh, some of our local schools a, a little bit later on. And what I'm hearing uh, before those conversations is uh, that there's a lot of children out of school today. They're not a- attending school. What's your sense of this? Do you think that uh, there'll be more children out of school this week and that parents will hold off until next week uh, to send their children to school? I think, yes. I think that cohort of parents who were not sure and didn't want the school to reopen, they may be holding them back. But also they may be holding them back if they've come into contact. So, so you know, you don't know what the family situation is. A lot of people had you know, family back from other countries over the Christmas period, you know. So it's it's really difficult to gauge yeah. whether it's, it's people's sort of... Whether it's hesitancy, fear, or whether they have COVID themselves or they've been close contacts or any of these things. Yeah, so they may have to keep the kids back and not send them to school if somebody in the family has it. So it's just uh, <laughs> yeah. what a situation we find ourselves in. Oh, it's a mad world, and I think yeah. <laughs> just as you think it can't get any madder, it gets worse, doesn't it? Yeah. All right, Jill. Listen, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you for joining us. Uh, nice to talk Thank to you. you Jill Holtz is the co-founder of Parents and Brands and My Kids Time. Now, let's hear it once again from the Taoiseach and the importance that the government, the emphasis that the government is putting on vaccination. Yeah, they're, they're, all along there's been people coming forward getting their first and second dose. You know, um, the, the focus obviously has been on both the booster and that. Uh, the pr- primary doses, but we will continue to push that. What, what the, the work has focused in on specific groups that have been targeted, or when I say targeted, targeted for additional help and assistance and clarity around vaccines, um, and, and and that, that is the, the, the spirit that the HSC is engaging in in terms of working with people, particular groups, to say, look, we think we can improve the uptake here. Um, and that that will continue. Uh, we're at 94, uh, I think 0.5%, which is uh, second highest in the, in the European Union. Uh, it's a significant tribute to the country, uh, and I would like to think that that voluntary approach is the one we would continue with. It, and but I just would say to that remaining percentage, it does matter that you get vaccinated. I mean, the figures this morning that Paul Reid gave me that about 54% of those in ICU are people. Uh, who are not fully vaccinated. Uh, that's a very high figure. That's about 5% of the population, if you like, constituting 50% of ICUs. And just to add to that, I spoke to some doctors over the Christmas period, and they will say one of the first questions they ask people is, like, have you been vaccinated? And if a person says, no, I haven't been, do you regret it? And invariably the person will say to the doctor, I regret not getting that vaccine. God, that's a, a very sad situation for people to find themselves in. Uh, hopefully uh, that won't happen to too many more people uh, and uh, that we'll all heed to that uh, advice from uh, the public health experts and indeed our government. That's the Taoiseach, Michal Martin. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, you see so many people driving on their phones, you'd wonder if ever anything is done about it. Well, if something is done about it and people are 
brought to court. Well, uh, not much happens uh, in terms of convictions. You may have heard uh, this story yesterday. The Irish Times reported that just one in four people who are brought to court for driving on their phone are being convicted, a national average of about 25%. This follows an analysis of figures from the courts over a three-year period that was carried out by the Road Safety Group Park. Susan Gray is uh, the chairperson of Park and joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Susan, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, I take it that when you take into account the amount of people who aren't prosecuted uh, and those who are never before a court, uh, that there's very little risk in terms of using your phone when you're driving. Exactly, Michael. And the figures, when we uh, broke down the figures, the, the raw data that the courts provided to Deputy Catherine Murphy, we noticed that we had expected, Michael, an improvement from the last analysis we did uh, when Tommy Bruin, the previous uh, independent TD, was working with us. And he got the figures back in 2017 showing that... Um, there was a greater amount, 36% were being convicted in court. So we decided then to try to do analysis of follow-up, like from 2018 to 2020. Mm. And we really did expect an improvement, but 25% now. All right, you have to take into account 2020 with COVID and all, but um, there was less people maybe. But 2018... There's no COVID then, and the figures are appalling in some of the courts. Like in Mayo, where the road safety authorities faced 8%. It's incredible. 8% were mm. convicted in Mayo in 2018. Mm. That was the lowest in the, co- the whole country. Yeah. And there was no COVID then. It hadn't even come. So, um, I don't know. Uh, the mm. highest was Wicklow, 36%. But... Um, and 36% in itself really is a dismal record in terms of securing a prosecution against people uh, who were found to have been driving on their phone, given that it's considered to be such a serious road traffic offence that it incurs penalty points and uh, will uh, undoubtedly make the roads much safer if people don't uh, do that sort of thing. Uh, but 36% is impressive, as you say, in comparison to some years like in Mayo where it was 8%. Uh, but over the three years, uh, I think uh, County Louth uh, is more or less in line with the average. The average is 25%, County Louth is 26%. But over the three-year period, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Susan, but I think County Meath is the worst county in the country, 14% over the three years. County Sligo, 14%. And County Meath, 14%. Yeah. The two of them's the same, like, you know, so yeah. that's three-year period. But what we did, Michael, was we broke it down then. We went further and broke it down per year just to see in case um, the excuse would be 2020 COVID, that would take the figures down. Mm. So we wanted to see what was happening in 2018. And there's no excuse there, like, mm. you know, no excuse whatsoever. So... When you think 36% is the best, but... Mm. And it was slightly better in uh, 2018 in County Mead, but still dismal, 16%. uh, And then 2019, 13%. 2020, 14%. You've uh, 
averaged that at 14% over uh, the three years, joint worst in the country, uh, along with Sligo. Yeah. And like when you consider 36% is the best. Mm. But if you look at that in a different way, six, that leaves 64% that weren't mm. convicted. Mm. Now, we had asked for a breakdown of, um, a total breakdown of how many were not convicted because the summons wasn't served. Now, in the past, Deputy Tommy Brown got them figures, no problem. In 2007, 2015 to 2017, he got that figure. We did the analysis and it was 29% were not convicted because mm. someone wasn't served. Uh, we can't get them figures anymore. The mm. court service say that they don't record, they don't do that breakdown anymore. Right. And it's disappointing because the people serve to know exactly, detail by detail, what is happening in our courts and why the, there's such a low conviction rate. We don't believe there's one agency to blame. I, we think all the agencies need to actually start sharing them. Why, 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 is the, why, why is the summons not served? Well, they say that um, if somebody's changed address or if they're living in an apartment block or mm. there's a load of reasons, but... Um, we just want to know exactly where the problems lie. And until we know, how do you fix a problem if you don't know exactly how many were dismissed because of ABC, mm. how many were struck out, how many were struck out not served, how many donated to the court poor box maybe and got right, no conviction. Okay. Yeah, we yeah. don't know. Yeah. And the likes of the Road Safety Authority that are getting handsomely paid to do a job, mm. Michael. Wouldn't you think they would be doing this kind of work instead mm. of a voluntary group with no funding like Park? A group that consists of families that are briefed, that mm. have lost loved ones in the road. But time and time again, this has left us. And what we notice, the best RSA, the Road Safety Authority, usually say in comments is, we are totally shocked at these figures. They should be aware of this. They should have been brought, analysed these, um, like when, especially when their county, where their headquarters is in Mayo, had 8%. Now, I wonder were they aware of that? And find out what's happening. It shouldn't be left to us. But as well, Michael, when we got the figures and started doing the breakdown, we realised some of the figures were definitely wrong because in Limerick and Kerry, when we were um, totting up, uh, Limerick and Kerry mm-hmm. had far more convictions than they had people before the courts. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> I was so just going to say, how do you manage that? And there was a huge discrepancy. So mm. we uh, contacted Catherine Murphy. She's brilliant at asking questions for us. And we explained, could she please go back to the Minister for Justice because the figures we got, we couldn't give it to the media. We couldn't mm. complete our analysis because Limerick and Kerry was definitely wrong. And we explained why we knew it was wrong. Okay. And it was the only reason we knew it was wrong because you can't have more people convicted mm. than before the court. Okay. And and Catherine Murphy, co-leader of the Social Democrats, what, 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 what did she establish for you? She went back to the Minister for Justice and the Minister for Justice sent back a letter apologising, saying that uh, 
when her team was, um, let me see, I need to get the exact word in here. Okay. I've been advised by the team that when merging the information into one table for ease of reference for the deputy, an error was not noticed. And this led to incorrect figures being provided for some court areas. These reports have been manually compiled from the raw data provided by the court service. Well, there's a lot of issues there, Michael. Like in 2022, or 2021 it was then, we're still manually compiling these figures. Why can't they do it just automatically? Mm. And um, she provided new figures for Limerick and carry but we thought that was all but when we did the analysis we realized we had to scrap the whole analysis for what we do is we break down the raw data we put it into county by county right and then district by district and then percentage per district to see exactly where in each county the problem is sourced so we corrected Lumrick and Kerry and we realized that they had changed other figures as well. Mm. Now, the original analysis showed Donegal the worst, 7% conviction rate. But the new data, the corrected data that was sent, changed Donegal that it's 28% now conviction rate. That's a huge difference. A massive difference. Mm. I don't know how errors like that can be made. I really, Mm. really don't know. But anyway, we're going by that. Yeah. So we had to scrap the original one. All right, it wouldn't wouldn't instill much confidence uh, in how uh, this data is being provided to you. But the the data can only relate to uh, what's happened in the courts. And maybe uh, that's the bigger question, is it, Susan? Because I imagine, really, we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg here. Well, you couldn't. I couldn't have said it better, Michael. Like, we're a small group, and we're discovering this. And a retired judge once said to us a few years back, you should sure doing great work going around the courts and develop, you know, discovering this and that, but you are only scraping the surface. Mm. But don't give up your work because you're highlighting, you know, a lot, but I need you to know you're only scraping. So whatever we're discovering, it would be sad to think that all these agencies already know all this and far more. And they've done nothing in the past. I keep going back to working groups. They keep setting up working groups and reviewing this and reviewing that. How are we able to discover stuff that these working groups that were set up in 2014, the Penalty Point Working Group, yeah. how have they not discovered this? What do they be talking about at these meetings to have every few months? Do we need a working group to monitor the working group? Okay, well, I really, really don't know. Well, there, there, there should also there should also be a, a level of personal responsibility in this. Uh, if you are caught and you are convicted, uh, and I gather it's probably true to say that there's little chance of, of either. Uh, it's sixty euro three penalty points. It goes to ninety euro and five penalty points if you are in court. Uh, but if people believe that they won't be caught using their mobile phone when they're driving, yeah, that's a, another thing. What would you say to them this morning, uh, Susan? Well, there's nothing we can say that they must be aware of already themselves. Holding a mobile phone or texting while holding a mobile phone, that is such a 
dangerous behaviour. We really believe that's up there with drink driving. You cannot be concentrating on the road and driving. And if you're texting, your eyes are off the road. Can you imagine the devastation that can and is probably caused by people on their mobile phones? Please put away the mobile phone. There is no excuse in this day and age. The hands-free kits are in most cars. But you know yourself, Michael, you've probably been out and about often that you've met people with the phone to the ear, yes? Mm, oh, all the time, yeah. Mm. Yes. Mm. So whatever enforcement is there, mm. it is not working in loads of areas. They need to sit down and see where such an agency is failing here and up that day and then go to the next agency right down to the courts because in England they have increased the penalty points from three to six mm. for mobile phones. That's how serious they take it. Now last year Northern Ireland um, did the same and they've increased the points from three to six. Now a few years ago we met with Shane Ross, the previous Minister for Transport and when when England took in, or the UK took in, increased the penalty points and we asked them to do the same. And Deputy Tommy Bruin raised it in the Doyle and asked Shane Ross to put it into the previous road traffic bill. He didn't. He said the RSA would need to monitor the UK's and see how it was working. Well, Northern Ireland must have been monitoring the UK and it must be having a positive effect when they've taken it in. But having said that, in Ireland, if they're going to court and getting off, Mm. Increasing the penalty points would only encourage them more to go to court. Yeah, so we need to sort out the problems we have at uh, ready and tighten them up. An awful lot of them aren't going to court, as I say, Susan, and we see it every day. You're monitoring it, I'm monitoring it. Uh, just by going about our, our daily business, uh, it's in front of your face every time uh, you go out on the roads. We have to leave it there for the moment, Susan. Okay, thanks, Mike. But thank you. Thank you, as always. For, okay, thank you very much. Uh, that's Susan Gray, who's a chairperson of the Road Safety Group Park. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's uh, try and uh, get a, a picture of uh, what's happening in uh, some of our schools uh, this morning. Brian Collins is uh, the coordinator of the northeast branch of uh, the Irish uh, Primary Principals Network Support Group, and he's the principal himself of School Nave Fecken in Terman Fecken. Good morning, Brian, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, it's back to d- school today for some, uh, but not for others, and I, I gather there's uh, a large rate of absenteeism uh, and indeed quite a, a number of teachers who are not in school this morning. Hi, good morning, Michael. Yeah, it's, it's, it is great to be back. Uh, unlike our experience from, from, from last year, this time last year, the schools are unfortunately were unable to open. Uh, this year, uh, we're open and we're delighted to be open and be, uh, delighted to be able to, to welcome as many children and staff uh, back to school as possible. Now, I know uh, ourselves here just did a quick run around our school this morning just to, to get a head count of the number of pupils um, that uh, weren't at, aren't at school today. And out of our uh, three we have 83 absent, which is um, pretty much probably the lowest attendance rate uh, in my time in the school. So it's about nearly 30% of the children. Uh, now, mm. it, this isn't unexpected. Mm. Uh, those, all those children are, are, are at home for a very, very um, understandable reason. Uh, and uh, just 
doing a quick survey of our, our schools here in the northeast this morning. Uh, I think 36 schools came back to me, 36 principals came back with with some data uh, uh, from their schools, and it's in around between 25 and 35 percent of the of the pupils are are absent from school today, and probably again tomorrow. I would say there'll be a big lift in that next week. So probably um, a similar story in all of the schools, 25, 30 yeah, percent. I, I uh, would say in around 30 average, 30 uh, percent mm. average would probably be 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 a, an accurate figure. And would it be breaking down like that in each class or would you have some classes that have huge amounts of children out and some who don't have as many? No, no. It's, it's between, in an average class size here, maybe between 25 26 kids. Anything, I know our highest is 11 absent in one class and our lowest is uh, 5. Right, so okay. it varies. Now, it, it in one sense it has helped a little bit because I wasn't fully, uh, fully confident that I could get a teacher in front of every class today, but thankfully, uh, I spent the last two days trying to find substitute teachers. Now, the teachers who are absent are all absent uh, because of, of COVID-related uh, problems. They're either, you know, uh, coming off an isolation period themselves, having got COVID, or they're uh, being identified as a close contact. So, so from those teachers that have phoned me over the last few days, I've obviously been on the phone and WhatsApp and text trying to find uh, subs. It was very, um, uh, uh, it was very worrying in the initial stages because I think I sent about eighteen, nineteen texts out to our normal subgroup, not one reply. Oh. Everybody working, so I was panicking a little bit then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, over the course of two days, uh, managed to be able to put put things in place here so that every class has a teacher in front of them today. Now we have, I'll be I'll be taking a class for the afternoon myself. One, one or two of the special ed teachers will be stepping in for for some time as well, but obviously it is that's the last resort mm. because we do not don't want to deprive any of the children with additional needs or you know any additional learning uh, problems of any time with their uh, with their learning support teachers. So it's so, all hands on deck, uh, and, and something yeah. has to give uh, when it is uh, like that, uh, and undoubtedly uh, it's putting pressure on all of you. Eighty three children absent out of a, a school population of three hundred. That really. That, that's. That's that's uh, unprecedented, really. Yeah. I I haven't seen that before. I'm at this job nearly 37 years now, and that's that's a new low. Yeah. But, but not unexpected. In 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 the survey this morning of the, of of the 36 schools in our IPPN group, uh, the principals came back. I just give you a quick run through the figures because yeah. th- again, it's kind of what I expected. Um, 129 teachers unable to attend work due to COVID um, isolation, 129. Uh, now, of those, schools said they were able to, to uh, find subs for about half. So 56 subs are found for those 129 uh, absent teachers today. So um, I would imagine the, other, the schools then are putting principals themselves are going into classes or uh, uh, resource teachers, learning support teachers as a, as a, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a last resort are covering those classes. Uh, uh, what's the context of that, uh, Brian? Uh, 129 out of how many? What percentage of teachers are absent? Uh, there are 36 schools, so, you know, we, we have such a broad name. Yeah. We, we have schools with, with three teachers and we have schools the biggest school, I think, has 50 teachers. So, uh, I just don't have a total It take some more time to but, but, uh, and to be honest, I wasn't going to be asking principals too many questions no. this morning. Say everybody's <laughs> on top of their heads, yeah. Yeah, no, but the other thing is the SNAs. Now, thankfully, the SNAs substitutes are easier to source. But, you know, again, today, and SNAs are, are vital because they're supporting children 
who are vulnerable, who have additional needs and, you know, who find school difficult without their support of an SNA. Mm. So there's 30 SNAs absent from that group of schools as well. Now, again, there are 22 SNA subs, so there's only a small number of SNAs that haven't been replaced. But still, that's quite difficult for children who are used to having the support of an SNA. And it's the challenge of replacing 159 staff who are absent from work. That is, and unfortunately, Michael, and I, I, don't, I don't want to be the prophet of doom here, but um, generally speaking, the first day of the term is usually a, a day of very high attendance. Everybody's yeah. mad keen to get started again. Well, I was just going to ask you yeah. what happens after today, because you get to the end of today and then you start all over again, don't you? Because no yeah. doubt, like every day in this country, as things stand at the moment, people will be receiving text messages telling them that they're close contacts or they'll develop a, a snip or whatever. Yeah, well, I'm I'm anticipating tomorrow is pr- going to be pr- pretty much similar. Uh, now, next week, no, they, they, I, I know the medical experts are telling us, you know, a week, ten days, two weeks, they should they sh- the, 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 it, it should have peaked and start the numbers should start declining and, and tapering off. And I'm really hoping that's the case. But in that period of time, certainly for the next few weeks, things could get worse before they get better. So they could well be. M- and particularly with teachers now back and SNAs back in classrooms where they're in uh, a class with 20, 22, 25, 27 children, uh, most of whom won't be vaccinated. Mm. And the way this uh, Omicron um, uh, virus is um, is transmitting so easily, I'd be worried that, you know, given a few days, we may have more pupils and teachers and SNAs coming down with this. Uh, and then, you know, thankfully, the vast majority won't have any serious symptoms or serious uh, illness. But it you expect still knock them out for five, six, seven well, days. Well, that's it. Uh, but we may uh, see a, a change uh, in uh, the guidelines as well, uh, yeah. because there is this talk uh, that if you don't have symptoms uh, and you are positive, that you, you'd go to work, uh, similar to what they're doing in America on the CDC advice. Uh, is that yeah. something that your members have, a, or that your teachers well, have a, 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 a thoughts on? Certainly from my own point of view and from the other principles, mm in our group we've always really been led by the public health uh, experts and we you know we've 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 we really trust their advice so obviously we'll be looking to the the people who are more qualified to make decisions about that than we are and uh, you know up to this point anyway uh, yeah. we've we have had uh, a really high level of confidence in the public health advice so we'll be we'll be we'll be listening to Dr Tony Houlihan yeah. and all of the the scientists and medics there uh, telling us what, of course. what's the best act, course do, of action do, to do, take. Do you expect more children to be in school next week? Uh, because I don't think there's anything uh, to support it, but anecdotally, I suppose, we're hearing uh, that pr- parents are afraid of sending their children to school this week and they think, well, why uh, do it this week? Hold off a couple of days uh, and wait until Monday before sending the kids back. Uh, I do know, I've got several emails over the last 24 hours from parents saying, listen, we're going to wait until, you know, we've, 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 uh, we're hoping to get our children vaccinated, so we're just going to wait until they're vaccinated and maybe send them back to school next week. Others are are probably just going to see how it goes for the next few days. Um, uh, but I, w- I would be hoping that we would have a significantly higher number in, in attendance next week. Uh, I think the only thing that will keep the children out is that if, um, if transmission uh, rates increase now that the children are back together in classrooms, um, and you know that's always going to be a possibility. So I think it may get it, it may get uh, worse before it starts to get better. 
So we could have a couple of weeks here that it, it could be, it can be it'll be fairly challenging running schools I think for the next few weeks. Uh, but we're, we're as always do our, do the best we can. Okay, Brian. Look, thank you very much for taking some time out of your very busy day today. Not at all, Michael. Tom much appreciated. Thank you very much, Brian Collins is the principal of Skull Nave Fecken, Terman Fecken, and uh, the coordinator of uh, the Northeast branch of uh, the IPPN support group. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Novak Djokovic may be the best tennis player in the world. He may have hoped to have proved that again in Australia, but it looks unlikely that that's going to be the case because he's very good at playing tennis. He's very wealthy. He's lots of fans. He's well used to living a very exorbitant lifestyle and staying in big fancy hotels. And at the moment, he's locked up in a bog standard hotel. It would seem under hotel quarantine in Australia because he wasn't playing by the rules. And this is a message to Djokovic from the Australian Prime Minister. Rules are rules. And there are no special cases. Rules are rules. It's what I said to you yesterday. Uh, that's the policy of the government and has been our government's strong border protection policies, and particularly in relation to the pandemic, that has ensured that Australia has one of the lowest death rates from COVID anywhere in the world. We were one of the first countries to move on shutting our borders. We were criticised at the time, but it was the right decision. And we have maintained those important border controls over the entire period of the pandemic. Uh, We have tightened them even further on occasion. Again, we were criticised for doing that, but it was the right decision. And we will continue to make the right decisions when it comes to securing Australia's borders in relation to this pandemic. Now, our government has strong form when it comes to securing our borders. I don't think anybody doubts that. And they, know that I, and they know that I, both as Prime Minister Treasurer and particularly as Minister for Immigration and Border Protection, have a very strong view on this. And I want to thank the Australian Border Force officers for doing their job, implementing the government's policy. And uh, the ABF has done their job. Entry with a visa requires double vaccination or a medical exemption. Um, I'm advised that such an exemption was not in place and as a result, he is subject to the same rule as anyone else. I also want to stress that ultimately, this is the responsibility of the traveller. It is for the traveller to be able to assert and back up their ability to come into the country consistent with our laws. So they'll take advice from many places. Um, No advice was provided by the Commonwealth Government, I underscore. But they will take advice, but it's up to them at the end of the day. And uh, if they don't comply with the rules, then the Australian Border Force will do their job and they have done their job. Um, This is nothing about any one individual. It is simply a matter of following the rules. Now, it may not be that often that Novak Djokovic is told what to do, but the message from the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, was very clear to Mr Djokovic. You're no different than anyone else. People try to run the border all the time, by the way. People come with a visa but may not satisfy other requirements for entry. Um, And people are put on planes uh, and turned back all the time. Um, Anybody who's watched... Uh, the Border Patrol shows will understand that. This is not an irregular thing to happen if someone is put on a plane and and told to return to their country, even if they may have come with a valid visa. Um, A visa um, is one issue, but you have to have a double vaccination 
because that's the country's rule for entry into the country, and that is assessed at the border. And we don't have border force officers in every airport around the country. And uh, he provided information uh, to the airline to allow his entry onto the plane. But people get on that plane. Um, that is not an assurance that they'll be able to come through Australia's border at the other side. It wasn't a problem ne necessarily with the visa. Um, there are many visas granted. Um, and if you have a visa and you're double vaccinated, well, you're very, very welcome to come. And I think this what this says to everybody in Australia. People are welcome in Australia. But if you're not double vaccinated and you're not an Australian resident or citizen, well, you can't come. The rules are the rules. Uh, that's uh, the Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison with uh, that message for Novak Djokovic. Now, let's uh, go to some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, today. Mary in touch with us saying she cannot understand the thinking behind bringing children back to school today. Why not leave it until Monday and let them have the full three weeks off? Uh, and away from that environment. It was madness, she thinks, uh, to bring them back uh, for the sake of two days. Uh, and Mary goes on to say she knows a lot of parents who have taken the decision not to send their children back, but those are the ones who were lucky enough to be able to arrange childcare. She knows others who were not able to do that uh, and they've had to send their kids back in but they're petrified at the same time uh, that they or their children will become ill it's dis it's distressing a big parents it's hugely distressing uh, mary says for everyone thanks for your call mary thanks to davy too who was in touch with us davy says the schools should have stayed closed it's as simple as that and he says the government are playing fast and loose with the safety of our children how can they insist that the schools are safe yet the meeting between the minister and the teacher unions was held virtually. Why was that? Because it was deemed unsafe for them to meet up and hold it in person. Uh, the whole decision-making process behind the school reopening is laughable, he says. Well, thanks, uh, Davey, for that. I think we heard uh, the Taoiseach say very clearly that the government is acting on the advice of the Chief Medical Officer, Dr Tony Houlihan, and the public health experts in relation to their decision to reopen the schools today. Thanks to Eamon in Dunleer, uh, who's been in touch with us uh, about uh, mobile phones uh, being used by drivers. Uh, he reckons that any time he sees somebody in a BMW they're on their phone. Uh, it's either stuck to their ear or they're texting, he says. 99% of drivers in BMWs, he says, are on their phone uh, and he wonders why that's the case. I can't imagine that's true. I'd imagine if uh, people have a, a BMW, aim and that they have a hands-free uh, system in the car. But... Uh, Maybe it's an old BMW uh, before uh, they were invented. I don't know what the case is or what it is you're saying, uh, but thanks uh, for your message to the programme today. Now, it is the 6th of January. A year ago on this day, uh, there was a riot, an, an intentional and coordinated and an unbelievable attack on democracy at the heart of a democracy when a mob... Uh, carried out a riot on Capitol Hill. Uh, and of course, uh, this was following on from the incitement uh, that uh, was given to act this way by the then President Donald Trump. Uh, a year on and Joe Biden uh, will be talking today about what happened at Capitol Hill. Uh, here's his press secretary telling us a little bit about what to expect 
to hear from the American president. The president is going to speak to the truth of what happened, not the lies that some have spread since, and the peril opposed to the rule of law and our system of democratic governance. He will also speak to the work we still need to do to secure and strengthen our democracy and our institutions to reject the hatred and lies we saw on January 6th and to unite our country. Uh, I'd also note that um, President Biden has been uh, clear-eyed about the threat the former president represents to our democracy and how, how the former president constantly works to undermine basic American values and rule of law. And President Biden has, of course, spoken repeatedly about how the former president abused his office, undermined the Constitution, and ignored his oath to the American people in an effort to amass more power for himself and his allies. Uh, he sees January 6th as a tragic culmination of what those four years under President Trump did to our country. And they reflected the importance uh, to the president of winning uh, what he has called many times, and you've heard him call many times, the soul, the battle for the soul of our nation. So just as you heard him say on January 6th of last year, I would expect that President Biden will lay out the significance of what happened at the Capitol and the singular responsibility President Trump has for the chaos and carnage that we saw. And he will forcibly push back on the lie spread by the former president in an attempt to mislead the American people and his own supporters, as well as distract from his role in what happened. So uh, he will, of course, speak to the moment, uh, to the importance uh, in history of the peaceful transfer of power, of what we need to do to protect our own democracy and be forward-looking. But he will also reflect on the role his predecessor had. Will he call Donald Trump out by name? Uh, we'll see. We're finalizing the speech. But I think people will know who he's referring to. That's the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki uh, speaking uh, yesterday. And I think uh, based on what we've just heard, we can expect... A significant speech from President Joe Biden today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now it's uh, back to school in Nobber today as well. Let's speak uh, to the principal of Skull on Boschta, who is Anne-Marie McKenna and on the line with us. And good morning to you, Anne-Marie. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, a little bit different from Term and Feckin and uh, the schools we heard about it in County Louth this morning. You have all your teachers uh, at work today. We do, Michael. Um, good morning and Happy New Year. And Happy New uh, Year yes, to you, of course. We are one of, I can only imagine, a very small minority in the country this morning who had a full complement of both um, uh, uh, teachers and SNAs in this morning. Okay, but uh, it's not the same story when it comes uh, to the children. Quite a few absent, no, I'm told. We have about a quarter of our school out today. Okay, that's a, a lot. Uh, have you seen yeah. absenteeism on that level before? Um, just before Christmas, we would have had probably a third of the school out um, coming up to Christmas. So we did all our, we had a visit from Santa and we had all these things that we had planned. So we did them all early so that parents could take their children out for those extra few days um, if they were going to isolate before Christmas, if they were going to see grandparents or going on, going to visit people so that we gave them that extra time so that they didn't mm. feel, I suppose, that their children were missing out. And I take it that the children are out for a variety of reasons, uh, even if it does relate to COVID, they either have COVID or they've been in close contact yeah. or their parents are afraid uh, of sending them to school or they're just waiting until next week because yeah. they think it's just too soon. They just think it's too soon for the sake of, I think what all of them are saying, for the sake of two days. I mean, Michal Martin has said that they're expecting this, this Omicron to peak in 10 days. And I think a lot of parents are going to say, well, then we maybe we'll just wait. Are they right if they are saying that? Well, look, I, I, I'm no medical expert. I'm, I'm a teacher. Uh, I manage people and children and I love my job. But I, I don't see how excluding children, which is what we're doing at the minute, they're not getting any education sitting at home. 
we can't be in two places at once. If we had gone online for 10 days, two weeks, every child would have had access to education. Whereas right now, we have a lot of children sitting at home with no access to education. Uh, you'd expect numbers to increase next week, I take it? Uh, I would hope so. I know um, we have a few families as well who are waiting for their children to get vaccinated. Um, so I think the rollout of the vaccination programme for, for children will, will definitely help our numbers. Others are just saying they had decided they were going to keep them out this week and then said, I might as well send them back at some stage. Mm. But as soon as they come back, I suppose the fear is that they'll, they'll get COVID and they'll be out again. Or they'll be a close contact and they'll be out again. And I mean... I know a lot of pubs are closing and restaurants are closing, you know, for safety. We don't have that luxury. We're ploughing on. Schools are not magic. We are not safe places. We are places that are overcrowded, underfunded and don't have proper filtration systems. Okay. The public health advice is that schools are safe. Well, I'd love to know how four families can meet together in one house but you come into a classroom and you can have 32 families and a teacher sitting there unmasked and that's no problem. Okay, so you're going to get through today and you'll get to the end of the day, and then what? Uh, because uh, there's always the possibility that one of uh, the teachers is going yeah. to get a, a text message saying that they're a close contact. Uh, if that happens, I suppose I'm, um, I'm a teaching principal, so I take special ed, so I will be deployed to a classroom straight away. If one of our SNAs is missing from, we have two ASD classes, if one of those are missing and we can't get a sub, I'll go in there instead. Um, so the children who are the most vulnerable, who they're talking about, Josephine Madigan and Norma Foley have said the most vulnerable will be looked after. The most vulnerable in our school won't be looked after because I will have to teach in a classroom or go down into one of our special classes. Mm. And then you get to the end of tomorrow if you yep. do get through that. And it's day to day at that stage. And it is day to day. We're firefighting here at the moment. I mean, I completely understand we're definitely one of the lucky ones today, but uh, our day will come. Okay, and it may not come if uh, there's this change in the rules uh, because uh, the reports are that uh, the government has asked uh, Neffert to look at the rules and that if uh, you turn out to be a close contact but you don't have symptoms, uh, that you'd go to work. Yeah, I uh, look, my, my whole family had COVID there in October and I had to come to work every single day. Um, I didn't feel that it was right. Um, I took office days so I wouldn't be in contact with children. I did antigen tests every morning. But not every, like we can't even get antigen tests. We can't get PCR tests. So you're asking people who are potentially carrying the virus or sick themselves to come into work. Mm. And what, that's not fair. And what, what, what are you doing uh, about um, ventilation and masks? So we had um, FFP2 masks in school. We've ordered more and they should be arriving tomorrow. So all our staff have the FFP2 masks. We uh, invested in HEPA filters before Christmas. Uh, but we still have to have our windows open. You know, the HEPA filters don't just magically take all the viruses out of the air. They still need the air to circulate around the room. Now, we're probably leaving our windows a little bit more, less open than they were up to Halloween, say. Mm. But they're still open. Like, we're still, children are still coming in in their base layers. They're wearing their coats. Everybody is freezing. Yeah. Uh, okay, and I, I'm reluctant to say this because I don't want to confuse the situation, but I thought it was like air conditioning that you shouldn't open the windows with the HEPA filters. No, you're supposed to have a continuous flow of air through the rooms. Okay, so you are yeah. meant to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apologies, as I say, That's I didn't okay. want to confuse I things. But th- there's so many yeah. rules and there's so many regulations, yeah. it's hard to keep on top of everything. Absolutely, yeah, but uh, everybody is obviously well wrapped up. It must take a long time to get ready in the morning. Sure does. <laughs> Dreadful, yeah. 
the sooner the better it's over, obviously, Emery. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. The sooner we can get back to, to, to education as we know it and our job as educators the better for everybody. Okay, well look uh, thanks for taking time out of your very, very busy day. I know how busy you are and we really do appreciate it and thank you. uh, Nice to talk to you and happy New Year to you. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you. That's Anne-Marie McKenna who's uh, the principal of Skull on Boshta in Nobber in County Meath. Now I think uh, before uh, we finish up today we may get a a chance to hear more from the Taoiseach and uh, some more of uh, the things he was saying at that press briefing to reporters yesterday. Uh, We were talking about the public health advice. That advice of course will come from Neffet. The restrictions we have now are set to run to the end of, of, of January um, and as I have said the public have responded well uh, in terms of adjustment of behaviour, reducing socialisation more generally and that is having an impact. The, the people's behaviour is having an impact. Notwithstanding the, the exponential growth and so forth it would be much higher uh, if it wasn't for the people uh, adapting their behaviour. Uh, I don't want to preempt what Neffet will, will do um, in, in terms of its decision um, Thursday, but suffice to say that um, you know they will take a decision. It seems that the, the the overall picture right now is that the current set of restrictions uh, that have been in place uh, are effective. Um, it remains to be seen whether public health wish to advise any further in relation to that. Um, and um, but the indications are that it, w- it will be steady as she goes. Steady as she goes, we'll see, because Neffet uh, will meet today and they'll be considering everything in terms of trying uh, to slow down the spread of uh, this current wave of coronavirus. The focus, of course, will always be on the impact it's having on the health service. The, the situation in relation to hospitals, first of all, there's a broader range of pressures in hospitals this year, not just COVID, because there's far more activity out there in society. We're not at level five, we're not in a lockdown scenario, so therefore the normal trauma, for example, normal, normal issues that would arrive at an emergency department are still arriving in addition to the COVID situation. In terms of ICUs, it still seems that the bulk of the ICU cases are Delta cases. Um, that are you know that complex um, severe illness in many cases, um, and that seems to be the, the that is the feedback that I've received from the HSE and, and the clinicians within the HSE in terms of the the, the, the COVID patient population within within um, ICUs. So the hospitals are under pressure. Staff absences, absences is, is, is obviously a c- contributing, but the fact that the testing, for example, so the HSE has far more on its plate this year than it would have had even 12 months ago with the rollout of the vaccination programmes, both the childhood vaccination programmes, the booster vaccination programmes. Testing has gone, the HSE testing uh, system has gone from over 100,000. If you combine antigen and PCR to about 650,000 potentially. I mean, 300,000 PCR uh, and the capacity is there for 350,000 uh, antigen per week. That, that's enormous. Um, so you can see the range of pressures that are on the HSE not least within the acute service itself. On the antivirals, the the decision to procure, the the Minister has been given the green light. Uh, It will be some weeks yet before, but that's work that's underway between the companies and and, and the the, the HSE in terms of when that timeline can be both clarified and accelerated. Indeed, and the sooner the better and uh, all hope on those antivirals, uh, the medicine to take when you get COVID eventually will be uh, available to us. The orders uh, have uh, been uh, approved by government. That's uh, where we leave you for today. That of course was uh, the Taoiseach Michal Martin speaking to reporters yesterday. God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. 
The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.